Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC, offering a broad range of cardiac and vascular treatments in our community. More information is available at upmc.com slash centralpaheart. Welcome to The Spark. I'm Scott Lamar. I'll focus on history on this first program of 2023. Congress has voted to remove the bust of former U.S. Supreme Court Chief Justice Roger Taney from the U.S. Capitol. Taney wrote the Dred Scott decision in 1857, which is widely considered the worst decision in the court's history. Taney was from Maryland, but was a graduate of Dickinson College in Carlisle in 1795. While the removal of Chief Justice Roger Taney's bust from the Capitol does not relieve the Congress of the historical wrongs it committed to protect the institution of slavery, it expresses Congress's recognition of one of the most notorious wrongs to have ever taken place in one of its rooms, that of Chief Justice Roger Taney's Dred Scott v. Sanford decision. That's what the bill said. It was sponsored by Democratic Senators Ben Cardin and Chris Van Hollen of Maryland. To talk about Roger Taney and that history, we're joined today by Matthew Pinsker, a professor of history. He holds the Brian Pohanka Chair of Civil War History and serves as director of the House Divided Project at Dickinson College and has also authored several books on the period. Dr. Pinsker, welcome to the program. So, Dr. Pinsker, tell us about Roger Tawney. Roger Tawney was Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court for almost 30 years. He was one of the most important but controversial figures uh, of the United States in the 19th century. Why do you say he was one of the most important? At the time, during his career, he was a learned jurist. Uh, he was the, at the center of a Supreme Court that was doing political battles over issues like federalism or slavery, uh, presidential power, and he was at the center of several major constitutional battles that redefined our country. I want to talk about some of those constitutional battles other than Dred Scott a little bit later, but let's talk about Dred Scott. Tawney was chief justice for almost three decades, but is remembered mostly for the Dred Scott decision. What was the context of the case, and what did Tawney and the majority rule? Dred and Harriet Scott were two enslaved people who had been held as slaves in free territory, and they sued for their freedom. It was uh, a common practice in upper south border states like Missouri that slaves had access to the courts when they claimed they were held illegally as property. And they filed their freedom suits in St. Louis Circuit Court in 1846, and eventually they won their case. Um, but then the widow uh, who owned them appealed uh, to the Supreme Court, to the federal courts, and in the 1850s, the case wound its way through the federal system, and then in early 1857, the Supreme Court ultimately ruled against Dred Scott um, and said that um, it doesn't matter. Uh, whether or not the, he was held as a slave in free territory, because black people can't be citizens, states don't have to honor each other's laws about slavery, and Congress never should have prohibited slavery in those territories in the first place. Uh, 
according to Tawney and the majority, that was unconstitutional, a violation of property rights. So just to be clear, when you say that ultimately the Scots won their case, maybe ultimately is not the right word, but you're talking about the, the court cases on the local level before they went to the federal and the Supreme Court level. They won their case in circuit court in, in Missouri, and then they um, lost on appeal to the Missouri Supreme Court. And then their attorneys filed uh, appeals into the federal system. Then they lost in 1857 in the U.S. Supreme Court. But they ultimately did win, Scott. I mean, because uh, it turned out that the widow who had owned them remarried to an abolitionist congressman from Massachusetts. And he arranged to sell them to the son of Scott's first owner, who was now anti-slavery, and he freed them. So all of the Scots, uh, Dredd and Harriet, and their two daughters, they, they were free within a year after the Supreme Court decision. Now, that's part of the story that uh, doesn't often make it into the history books, does it? Well, it makes it into my history class, and it's more common these days than ever before to talk about the family and what happened to them, because there's been a whole avalanche of new information about Harriet Scott, the wife who is actually the driving force behind the case. I mean, in the old days, you might remember this, but we never talked about her. It was always Dred Scott. But she filed for freedom at the same time he did, and according to the latest research, she was the one who made all of the initial connections with the lawyers, and helped get them into the court system. Was that because, at the time, the man in the marriage was considered the driving force, or just what? That's pretty much it. Uh, There was a doctrine called coverture, which basically said uh, a wife is treated in the law almost like a child, and the husband is responsible for her. And so the lawyers on both sides stipulated that if the Scots did win their case and they both became free, um, she would really be uh, dependent on him. And so they could just proceed with his case as a way to simplify things. So when they went into the federal system, it was just the Dred Scott case. So let's get back to Tawney and the majority ruling. As you mentioned, uh, what uh, Tawney decided, you know, they use the, the Supreme Court justices are supposed to use the Constitution as their guide. How did Tawney cite the Constitution to reach this decision in the Dred Scott case? Well, like everybody knows, especially lately, uh, politics plays into how you interpret the Constitution. And Tawney and the majority interpreted the Constitution in a way that was pro-slavery and anti-black. It started with his um, ruling, his, his opinion, that black people weren't citizens of the United States. Now, that's totally debatable. At the time and in that era, there were plenty of people, like Abraham Lincoln and others, and two of the justices on the court who said, That is absolutely untrue. Black people had been citizens during the Revolution. Some had served in the Continental Army. Black people were voting in some states. There's no reason to exclude them from citizenship, unless, of course, you're full of racism and prejudice. And and Tawney had freed his own slaves years before, but he was notoriously anti-black, and he had become pro-slavery by that point in his career. When you say notoriously anti-black, was he more racist than the general population or many Americans at that time, many white Americans? 
I mean, look, you know, that's a hard question to answer with any kind of precision. But uh, there were plenty of people in the North who had a more progressive view of race and the possibilities for interracial life than Roger Tawney did. Um, there were others, of course, who were even more violent in their racism than Tawney. At, at least you could say about Roger Tawney, um, he freed his own slaves. At one point when he was a lawyer, he represented abolitionists in court. He once called slavery a blot on our national character. But still, uh, you know, if he had to choose a villain for the crisis over slavery, the villain he chose was a white abolitionist. Um, he didn't blame the slaveholders. He didn't blame the people brutalizing and owning black people. He blamed the people who were agitating to free them. Tawney was from a slaveholding state in Maryland, actually right over the Pennsylvania border. Did that influence his decision? Do we know today? Well, of course, it's an important context, but, you know, it's complicated. Maryland was a slaveholding state, but it was a state where slavery was dying as an institution. Um, he certainly uh, is an example of that. He was somebody who manumitted or freed his own slaves earlier in his career. Slavery was less profitable in Maryland than it was in the Cotton Kingdom in the Deep South or the Southwest. Um, but it was still hanging on, and it still had power. I, I think in Tawney's case, what he was really most concerned about was the National Union. And he he believed that slavery was essential and that placating and conciliating the slaveholding states was the key to saving the, the future of the Union. Now, I think that was wrong. Abraham Lincoln thought that was wrong, but he thought that was the only way. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as well, because obviously that was a decision or a point of view that was wrong in leading into the Civil War. Uh, Dr. Pinsker, do we know anything about uh, Tawney's time at Dickinson? We know some. I mean, he was uh, a student in Dickinson during the 1790s uh, under the first president of the college, Charles Nisbet. They were not focused on slavery in the 1790s, but debates about it came up occasionally. Pennsylvania was on its way toward becoming a fully free state, but there were still, it was a gradual process, and there were still people held as slaves in Cumberland County um, in the 1790s. And so he, he was surrounded by it, in a sense, in Carlisle, just like he had been in Maryland. Hmm. Dr. Pinsker, the Dred Scott decision came just days before James Buchanan was inaugurated as president. History says that Buchanan was aware of how the court would rule when he was taking office. How did he know? They were working on the Dred Scott case and the final opinions in the weeks before Buchanan got inaugurated. Back then it was in March, not in January. And members of the court, including Robert Greer, who went to Dickinson as well, they were writing letters to Buchanan informing him what the strategy and the plan was among the majority justices. Uh, they announced the decision, actually, Scott, two days after he was inaugurated. And so he made sure in his inaugural address, given that prior warning that it was coming, to say in a kind of strategic way, whatever the verdict of the court is on this case, we should honor it for the sake of the Constitution and law and order. Now, he knew what the verdict would be, and he was happy about it because he was like... You, 
like Tawny, Buchanan was not a slaveholder himself, uh, but he was pro-slavery, and he was interested in placating the slaveholding states. They both had the same kind of view, um, which was that it was far more important to reach out to white Southerners than it was to offer any kind of political equality, freedom, or justice, equity to, to black people. They had no interest in that. They had every interest in trying to make compromises across the, the regional lines. Does that make Buchanan and Tawney pro-slavery, though, to say that uh, they were trying to placate uh, the southern states, the southern legislators? Well, look, you can argue it. But at the time, that's what all the Republicans said. They called them doe faces. They said they were pro-slavery. Um, no doubt, you know, Buchanan and Tawney would defend themselves and say they were pro-union. But Abraham Lincoln and the Republicans, they said, that's not the union we signed up for. That's not the union the founders created. And that was how this became a constitutional battle. I mean, Tawney thought the Dred Scott decision um, would solve the sectional crisis. I mean, he was completely wrong. It made it worse. Didn't Buchanan think the same thing, that this would be the, the last word on it? I'm not sure that Buchanan had the same faith in Tawney and the court's reputation that the chief justice did, but he was hopeful, and he worked hard to try to secure an end to it. There was also another problem at this time about the fate of Kansas as a slave state that was also erupting that year, and Buchanan got mixed up in that as much as anything else. And so 1857 was a turning point year because of the battles over the Dred Scott decision and also the battles over whether or not Kansas would enter the Union as a free state or a slave state. And both of them tried to use their authority as chief justice and president in favor of the slave states in a way they thought would, you know, help cement the Union. But in both cases, it just made everything worse. Did Buchanan use the Dred Scott decision to his advantage or as part of his policies during the administration? Well, he tried, but everything seemed to fall apart for him over the course of his single term. Nothing he did satisfied either the uh, the most ardent fire eaters, uh, pro-slavery forces in the Deep South. They, they were never totally satisfied by his efforts. And of course, it only inflamed the Republicans in the North. Um, they were radicalized by him and Tawney. And so it was like the worst of both worlds. You kind of touched on this, but I just wanted to explore it a little bit further. Did the Dred Scott decision, or maybe how did the Dred Scott decision, have a role in the start of the Civil War? Uh, look, there's a famous political cartoon from the 1860 election. It's entitled The Political Quadrille of Dred Scott. It means a dance. Uh, and it shows Dred Scott as a fiddler and the four different candidates for president dancing around him. And the cartoonist's view was that almost everything that happened in the 1860 election revolved around different types of reactions to the Dred Scott verdict. And that's one way to look at it. It's not the only thing, but it was a central thing. It really polarized people. Was Dred Scott a household name? in the 1850s and 1860s, after this decision? Sure. This was the central case of the late 1850s. Uh, people didn't know about him before 1857. They knew about him after. Now, he died in 1858, but he died a free man. Roger Tawney was a long-serving Chief Justice. Uh, 
What were some of his other notable decisions? He issued a number of important decisions on slavery and federalism issues, but in in some ways, I think his you know most controversial uh, decision after Dred Scott was Ex Parte Merriman, where he and Lincoln did battle over the suspension of civil liberties at the start of the Civil War. Many people believe um, Lincoln certainly didn't think he was violating terms of the Constitution when he invoked the article in the Constitution um, from Article One, Section 9, that gives the government the ability to suspend habeas corpus privileges during times of rebellion or invasion. At the outbreak of the Civil War, Lincoln said, this is a rebellion, and he suspended civil liberties. The argument between him and Taney was over who exactly has the authority to do that. Is it the president as commander-in-chief, or is it the Congress? Because this suspension clause is in Article One, which concerns the Congress. Now, Taney issued a ruling. It wasn't a decision of the whole court. And Lincoln um, essentially uh, e- evaded it and brought the matter to Congress. And then Congress punted on it. They didn't fix the law until 1863. Uh, but during that whole period of time, uh, Lincoln and his administration were arresting and holding some suspected traitors without giving them what we call due process or habeas corpus rights, access to the courts. Over the course of the whole Civil War, we're talking about 14,000 people uh, who were arrested and detained without full hearings. Um, And so for some people, that was like one of the worst violations of civil liberties in American history. But for others, I think for most people, it was more than justified and authorized by the Constitution. Hmm. Uh, any other uh, decisions that uh, Tony was key in? I mean, he was Chief Justice for 30 years. He was involved in so many different cases. Uh, one of the ones that sticks out to me, especially being a resident of Pennsylvania, is Abelman v. Booth, where he ruled that personal liberty laws in the North could not interfere with federal fugitive slave laws. That was involving a case from Wisconsin. But in Pennsylvania, this was the central issue, which was could state personal liberty laws stop the federal government from rounding up black people and sending them back to slavery in the South, in a state like Pennsylvania? Um, and Tawney, again, in Abelman v. Booth, this is 1859, two years after Dred Scott, he 100% took the side of the slaveholders and argued that Uh, The northern state laws had no impact or should have no impact on the process of capturing and returning fugitive slaves. Uh, You know, just so your listeners can appreciate this, that's the great irony here. This is northern states' rights and southern interest in using federal power to support slavery. It's the opposite of what people usually think about when they talk about secession. Hmm. The Tawny bust at the Capitol was just one of uh, several statues and memorials to Tawny that have been removed. Why do you think it took so long? Well, you know, that bust in the Capitol was always a source of controversy. When they first voted on it, it was like a formality in 1865, the year after he died. The House approved it, and the Senate refused to fund it. And there's a great quote from the senator who led the fight against this. His name's Charles Sumner. He's a famous abolitionist. He said, if a man has done evil in his life, he must not be complimented in marble. And they refused to pay for the bust. 
And then, like, uh, nine years later, 1874, uh, reconstruction is almost over. They are finally authorized the funds for the bust, and they put it down there um, in the old Supreme Court um, hearing room. Um, and it's been there ever since. But it's always been a source of controversy. People have been agitating about Tawny's placement there. It's not like this is coming out of thin air. Hmm. We only have a minute or so left. I want to thank you very much for being with us today. How does an institution like Dickinson look at an alumnus like Tawny, and Buchanan for that matter? Dickinson had a bust of Tawny that was up on campus for years. They took it down several years ago. I've got it on the exhibit floor of the House Divided studio, kind of uh, a metaphor, you know, Tawny off his pedestal. Um, it's on display if people want to come see it. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's one of those stories where commemoration is different than study. Everybody studies Tawny. He's important. But that doesn't mean we have to commemorate him with marble busts and portraits as if he was a hero of American history. Hmm. I want to thank you very much for being with us today. Dr. Matthew Pinsker, who was professor of history and author of several books, thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. You're listening to The Spark on WITF, your home for NPR and discovering all things local. I'm Scott Lamar. Scott Lamar.